0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you stop and think about it, walking along that road towards Jerusalem must have been pretty exciting. Just think, a healing here, a healing there, some enigmatic teaching from a charismatic leader. The crowds must have sensed that Jesus was on the verge of something really big. The world was changing, and this Jesus was part of it. All the while, though, Jesus knows what is really happening. He is making his way to Jerusalem, and while there, he will be put to death. Yes, he will be resurrected, but Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to face torture and death. Looking around him, Jesus must have sensed a very different attitude in the crowds he was attracting. Jesus is heading towards his glorious passion and death, while the crowds, on the other hand, think they've signed up for something more like the destruction of the entire Roman Empire. Or maybe just a few days walking with a miracle worker. Or at least tagging along for a while to see what all this fuss was about. Luke begins today's gospel reading by telling us, Now large crowds were traveling with him. And he turned to them and said, Perhaps we should not be surprised that that tough teaching which follows, is actually intended to be a reality check for those very crowds. You see, those people have not been with Jesus from the beginning. Most of the people in that crowd had not been with Jesus through the week. And Jesus warns these Johnny-come-lately disciples to count the cost before filing in to join that parade. And the costs, he says, are high. Jesus tells them, whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now that doesn't sound very Christian of Jesus and it certainly would not have sounded very Jesus. Hating your father and mother? What about that commandment to honor your father and mother? Hate your wife? What about the two shall become one flesh and what God has joined together, let no one put asunder? I mean, by the time Jesus is finished, we must hate life itself and we're consigned to be drudging through life in some funeral procession with our own crosses slung over our backs as we plod on through the rest of our miserable lives. Not really encouraging stuff. It's probably at that point that Jesus's crowd begins to thin a little bit. Jesus goes on as much of the crowd begins to wander back home, comparing a decision to follow Jesus to counting the cost before building this tower, or a king deciding whether his troops can win a battle long before the enemy ever arrives on the battlefield. But let's take a harder look this morning at Jesus's words can he really be contradicting one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother? Can he really mean that we must hate? No, I don't think so. Both the Greek and the Hebrew words behind the word hate here actually carry very different connotations than the English word hate that we know today. The Hebrew word Sane, we usually translate as hate, actually comes from a root word for change and means to turn away or to detach yourself. While the Greek word, meseo, means to love less. Now, I'm not trying to take away the countercultural edge to Jesus' words. For him to stand and proclaim that you should love your family less and you should detach yourself from them would have been pretty shocking teaching even for that day. But Jesus isn't telling us to be hostile towards one's family. Instead, Jesus is calling on all that crowd to actually redefine and reprioritize their commitments in life. Everyone and everything is to be loved less than God. But the question that begs is, why are we counting this cost all at all? After all, there's nothing we can do to deserve God's love and forgiveness. And if we can't deserve it, or we didn't earn it, doesn't that make God's love free? What are these costs that Jesus is now counting, and why is that cost so high? I think no one is better at helping us count this cost of deciding to follow Jesus than a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who worked during the rise and rule of Adolf Hitler. Bonhoeffer would die just two weeks before Hitler, hanged in a German prisoner of war camp on Hitler's direct orders. It was the cost that this Lutheran pastor paid for boldly proclaiming and trying to live out the gospel in Nazi Germany. But eight years earlier, in 1937, Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, in which he wrote of cheap grace and of costly grace. Bonhoeffer began his book saying, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. And he went on to outline what he meant, writing, cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. An intellectual assent to that idea is held to be of itself sufficient to secure remission of sins. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the living word of God. In fact, a denial of the incarnation of the word of God. And later, Bonhoeffer goes on to show the distinction between cheap grace, which he sees as an empty promise, and costly grace, which he sees as Christ's true teaching. He writes, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Not really being one to mince words, Bonhoeffer further wrote, those who try to use grace as a dispensation from following Christ are simply deceiving themselves. But you see, the love of God is still free. You still do not have to earn it, and in fact, you will always have it. But before accepting that free gift, you should be aware that there is a cost to it. Forgiveness of sins is just the beginning, because it's followed by a call to go and sin no more. Being united to God through Christ is also just the beginning, because it is followed by a call to redefine all of your commitments in the light of that relationship. Jesus had some tough words for the growing crowds that day along that road to Jerusalem. And so I'm left with some tough words this morning. But Jesus' words were tinged with grace. So are mine. Jesus warns them in the end, the cost is your very life. And at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if our crowd this morning begins to thin out, maybe just a little bit. But for those who stay for the rest of the message, there's a good reason to love everything else less than God. The grace in this tough teaching is that the life Jesus gives you in return is more than you can ask for or imagine. I don't mean someday far off in the sweet by and by. I mean today, in the here and now. Jesus's closest disciples did not stay on the road with him in the hopes of something better in the next life. But because Jesus's words brought life to them in their present time and does to us as well. Jesus still brings that abundant life even to this day, but it is not cheap. The cost of discipleship and of following Jesus Christ might be the costliest thing you have ever done. But rest assured, living into and by sharing the love God has for each and every one of us before everything else we will find that our lives have become more full and richer than we ever thought possible. Richer in faith, richer in hope, richer in forgiveness, and richer in love. And that is certainly worth the price.